COVID spring break is right around the corner. And you know what that means. Spring break in your pants. Manscaped is here to ensure that the party in your pants never stops. For everyone preparing for a pants party this spring break, I have an exclusive 20% off discount. Use code managingmadrid at manscaped.com. Hey, Matt, you know who Manscaped today? Karim Benzema, right before he stepped on the field against Celta Vigo. I feel like we say this often, but another brace from Benzema, two important goals. He definitely Manscaped today. He has been Manscaping for quite some time now. So congratulations for yet another Manscaped Man of the Match award for Karim Benzema. By the way, who did not Manscaped today? You know who didn't Manscaped? It was uh, the referee. It was the game was so stop start. He had a phantom call on Luka Modric. Uh, second half just totally got out of control. The guy lost the plot. Clearly, clearly didn't manscape. Didn't use the tools. Didn't 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 go on spring break. I guess didn't have a pants party. So uh, the referee kind of kind of kind of get 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 your act together here. Get your manscape tools, listeners. For a limited time, subscribers to Manscape get two free gifts. Two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code managingwidget at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code managingmadrid at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code managingmadrid. Say aloha to your new beautiful balls with Manscaped. Also, before we get underway, just wanted to give a quick non-footballing message here. I thought it was important enough. Uh, happy Persian New Year and happy Baha'i New Year to anyone celebrating around the world today. And if you're not celebrating, well, happy New Year anyway. So this is an important time for both Persians and Baha'is around the world. So what, whether you're one or the other or like me, you kind of just lucked into both, then uh, happy New Year. Enjoy your time with the family. Enjoy your feasts. Enjoy the food. Enjoy spend time with your loved ones. And uh, it's an important weekend for us in the, in the Subani household. So stepped away to do this Real Madrid game in the podcast and back to family stuff. So I just wanted to wish Happy New Year to everybody who's celebrating. All right, without further ado, here is the Managing Madrid post-game podcast, Victory Over Celta Vigo. Let's go. Correr por lo bajo para Valverde, se acomoda para ver si tiene espacio como para pensar en el remate al arco. Se la dejó ahora Luca Vázquez. Este mete el cambio por la izquierda con Tony Cross. La guarda siempre abierto por el sector zurdo Mendy. La pusieron para Benzema, define, le pegó gol. Welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast. It is Saturday, early-ish for our standards. We are recording this um, pretty off the off the final whistle of Real Madrid's win over Celta Vigo away to Balaidos, a 3-1 victory. And so we'll dig up things as they come with regards to post-game quotes. We are not that far removed from the final whistle as, as we normally are. Um, so joining me, Kian Sobani, to break this all down is Matt Wiltsey. Matt, how you doing? Hey, Keon, doing well. Yeah, it's it, this was a early game, and first half actually started off pretty enjoyable, and then second half uh, a little tailed off a little bit. It was an up and down game, I would say, um, but there's definitely plenty of us, plenty for us to talk about. 
Yeah, I liked the first half. And at halftime, I also said to myself, I'm skeptical that this will be a fun 90 minutes from like start to finish because the first half when it's usually good, there is always room for complacency and for the, uh, the opponent to improve and for us to just do weird things in the second half, which we'll get to all that. But the second half was definitely far less comfortable than the first half. The first half was pretty good. I liked the energy in the first half. I thought the momentum from the Atalanta game carried over to this one. I liked what I saw. It wasn't, you know, a ball dominant, you know, complete controlled performance, but I thought defensively we were good. I thought our press was good. And obviously we obviously scored from a direct pressing sequence on Benzema's second goal, but we were doing good things and we looked pretty well into control. And then one momentum shift slightly in the, in the first half when Cruz committed a, a, a foul, which led to a free kick goal, which we'll get to. So let's start with the starting lineup. Um, this was a rare moment where we see Modric, Cruz, Casemiro and Fede Valverde all together. And then you had Vinicius and Benzema up top, which is a wrinkle that stems from the Atalanta game, uh, but no other pure winger in this game. So did that surprise you? What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was definitely curious to see how that midfield would pan out. And I think um, Fede Valverde, would he be in a diamond? Would he really be in a midfield four or would he be out on that wing? And sure enough, he was more or less out on the wing. Uh, out on the wing. He did have moments where he would come inside centrally. But for the most part, I thought he you would call him a right winger in this system. Um, and I didn't I, I didn't think Fede did poorly. I thought he was pretty good, brought some good energy, was really I mean, he was important on uh, a lot of our pressing sequences and including the goal, uh, the goal where the second one Benzema scored. So um, I thought I thought he was good. And just like there was one moment I tweeted out too where he just showed breakneck speed, like unbelievable ball was played down the flank and he burns Aaron Martin. And it was just, it was, it was impressive. I forgot. You sometimes forget because we haven't seen Fede in a while, just how fast he is. And he's, he's a true athlete. I, I like the Fede. I, I think Fede did a lot of things that you, it was hard to see. You had to kind of just be watching to see what he's doing. He's moving off the ball. It reminded me of last season where like when you have Fede, especially with Fede and Casemiro together in midfield, you just have a lot of ball-winning abilities. And it gives you confidence just collectively because there were a couple of times where Real Madrid lost possession, Fede is just there pouncing, counter-pressing, winning the ball back, or at least channeling him into, channeling the opposing player into a position where he's going to lose the ball. And I thought he was, his movement, he was making those runs he typically makes. Sometimes he didn't get it, and I thought he should have. Like Casemiro looked him off a couple of times when he was making a good run down the right and um, he didn't get in those situations, but he's always moving. It's, it's, it's something that's hard to play against, I think. It's, it's a little bit um, kind of underrated, some of the stuff he does in the ground he covers. And his just ability to be on one sequence, like within like five to ten seconds, he can be on the opposite end of the pitch just doing things, um, sprinting from one end to the other. And I kind of miss that. I feel like we haven't, you know, we had that consistently last season before Christmas time. And then after Christmas time and, you know, when we resume playing football after the initial pandemic outbreak, we didn't really see him involved much. And even this season, Moric, Cruz, and Casemiro have been the midfield. So we haven't seen much of Fede and obviously had an injury too. So it's nice to see him back in the mix and in the conversation of being an important player. Um, you, I think you made an important point. Maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but on Twitter when you said the team looks tired, part of the reason why maybe the second half isn't as efficient as the first half. And Zidane only made one sub. And uh, I'm a little bit surprised that, that, you know, maybe we didn't see some of the midfielders who started this game start coming off and, and getting a little bit of a breather. 
but uh, I suppose we'll bring that forward for now. But um, talk to me about how you thought the first half unfolded up until the goal conceded. So like, you know, everything up until Benzema's second goal. Well, yeah, I think part of the reason the second half wasn't quite as fun and part of the reason why the team was tired was because we were actually pressing pretty well. Um, and we were, if for large parts of the, of the first half, we were actually doing a man-to-man press. Goal kicks and and things like that, like stoppages in play. And so I thought, I mean, I thought we, we, we pressed well. It was actually impressive. And uh, the funny thing was that Celta on the opposite, on the opposite side, were trying to do the same thing and they were trying to press us high, but it was, we, we moved the ball, moved the ball out of the back pretty effectively. And I think Modric especially was just so crucial in that he was so good today. First half, especially like there were moments where, the ball, you think Celta's going to get it. They're pressing us pretty well. Like, we're, we're stuck. And then you give it to Modric, and all of a sudden, we're out of the press. Like, there was one moment I remember, I wrote in my notes, that he literally did a chest pass to break their press, and we were yeah. through. And I was like, are you kidding me? Only Luka Modric can do that. Yeah. And so, um, he, I mean, Cruz as well, but Luka, in terms of just evading the press, really stood out to me in that first half. And I think that's what that first half, what made it so fun, was both teams were pressing high. Both teams kind of trying to play out out of the press they weren't just lumping it um and so that made it kind of high energy um engaging fun but then in the second half real madrid who played midweek against atalanta you started to see those heavy legs and you started to see celta uh and we'll get into the second half more but i think uh Coudet did some things that that Zidane maybe didn't adjust to as well mortgages so that chest pass i took note of that too at least mentally, I just I remember that being like, wow, that was beautiful. And Modric, the way Modric is like his simplicity in dealing with pressure, like there's a there's an art to it, there's a simplicity to it, yeah. and it doesn't look that simple, but it's just on the fly, just thinking quickly. And it kind of reminds me of the way Zidane, as a player, like Zidane and Modric have this similar trait where they can escape pressure without doing too much, but making it look beautiful. So with yeah. Modric and that chest pass, Zidane, with Zidane, it was just like one or two flicks, right? So Zidane's like, Zidane is known for just being this graceful figure as a footballer. He glides on the pitch. He's elegant. But there's also a simplicity to what, the way he played with. He didn't really overcomplicate things. It was just that he did it with an, a really delicate touch, right? So quick one-touch passes, he, you know, those chest passes just to open up space and just react on the fly. A lot of players in those situations, they have to bring the ball down. They have to think, okay, who's around me? But it's like, it's not as, it's not as quick and it's, it doesn't flow as naturally. And Mordech reminds us he's down in that situation. I think that, that um, analysis is bang on, by the way, because I actually thought as good as Real Madrid's press was, Celta's press was pretty good too. Mm. It started from the first minute. Um, they actually suffocated Modric and, and won the ball off of him like within 30 seconds on the right wing. And they had a couple more of those throughout the half. But I think Real Madrid also were pretty much foot perfect on a several build-up sequences with just their movement there um, and their passing out of tight spaces and getting them into a good, pos- good positions offensively. And the second half, I feel like that it just kind of wore off on them because they, they were tired. They were tired. And Mordic himself was giving it away a couple of times too. And um, so I think that's where fatigue comes in. Fatigue can be sometimes a very easy explanation as to why momentum can shift. And there's other reasons too, like you said, but that's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it like kind of continuing on this theme of the tale of two halves. I think 
I had kind of just completely different notes in regards to Vinicius Jr. Like in the first half, my first like three notes, I, he, if you remember in the fourth minute, he beats the beats um, Ivan VR, the, the goalkeeper mm-hmm. to the ball who hesitated after kind of miscommunication between him and Hugo Mayo. And then every time the team was feeding Vinicius Jr. in transition and he was looking to be pretty direct, take players on and had a little bit more conviction and intention behind what he was doing. And even 16th minute, like Modric played that outside of the boot pass to Vinicius uh, and he just mm-hmm. just didn't make it there. Um, so like there was there was a lot of I was like, OK, Vinicius is doing that. He's picked up from the last game. His confidence is there. Like maybe maybe he's about to go on a run here. And uh, in the second half, it was just just the opposite. And like it just. I, I was actually on the La Liga TV broadcast and um, Graham Hunter was saying something interesting. He said, Vinicius doesn't have a plan in his head when he gets the ball. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And I really felt like that was true. Like he, he, he Vinicius doesn't strike me as a very, and I don't, I don't may, at this moment in his career, at least hopefully he can evolve into this, but he doesn't strike me as a very cerebral, cerebral player. Like he doesn't really, he's not thinking. He he doesn't really have any intention or purpose behind what he's doing. He just kind of makes it up on the fly. And there were so many times where I felt like he, if he's just a little bit more patient or uses his left foot instead of like the outside of his right foot or trying to force it, like playing a pass behind instead of forward. There were just so many moments today where you just, it was a Vinicius pull your hair out frustration <laughs> appearance. I mean, he did have that one run in the second half, which his cutback got cleared. It was, it was a nice dribbling sequence. But I, I think, like, with him, that's, that's a good analysis, by the way. Just, like, he doesn't have a plan. And I don't – look, a lot of football is just making plans on the fly. You can't, you can't plan for everything, right? You just yeah. kind of have to have a natural feel for the game, as we were discussing earlier about Modric. But to me, like, the difference between him and his Neymar – and his idol Neymar <laughs> is that Neymar in those situations is just a little bit – you can feel the calmness, right? Neymar's have a player who can dribble past three, four players, be surrounded, but there's still like, you can, you can feel that he's not panicking in those situations. I feel like Vinicius, as soon as he gets, like he gets past the initial hurdle, like he beats a man, maybe he beats two players. And then it's like, okay, I got this far. Now I just got to swing my boot at it. Like, yeah. so if I'm in that position, I'm going to just hit it. And hopefully there's a cross like it connects to somebody. And if it's a shooting position, I'm just going to hit my foot through it and see what happens. I feel like there's a lot of that with him. And this goes back to the discussion we had after the Atalanta game. It's like, you know, in those situations, just mental. So, yeah. you know, he's still young. Uh, you just hope that that comes with time. But I was, I, overall, I was pretty encouraged that I thought he, he continued some of the rhythm from the Atalanta game, you know, without falling off a little bit. You know, the, it's with him, it's, he has the intent. He has the desire and... I think he probably lacks the IQ in certain situations. Yeah. Um, so when Real Madrid score their first goal, I just, I stood up out of my seat for Tony Cruz. Like even before the ball, when I was like, wow, that was pretty. Cause even like, by the way, like, let me ask you this. Cause he had a couple of these in this game. Do you think he's an underrated dribbler? Like often with Cruz, it's like his, his profile, his stereotypical profile is like what we label him as is just this pastor and he's not very mobile, but he's always been comfortable just escaping pressure. Like, so, and in those two situations I'm talking about in this game, one of them led to the first goal where he just actually actively goes past his man and 
And what a pass, like through that, that channel was so tight to feed that ball mm-hmm. into Ben's. I thought he was going to go out wide or cross it himself, but what a pass. Um, but do you think we don't give him enough credit for dribbling? His, he's never going to have huge dribbling numbers because he doesn't attempt them at a high volume, but he's comfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I do think we underrate him as a dribbler. And I think where we underrate him even more is probably his first touch. Because think about how many times where the ball comes into him and it will come to maybe his left foot. And he uses the, the defender's momentum against him. So he takes a like kind of a bigger touch with his left foot. Uh, and the defender goes this way. He goes that way. And it goes on to his right foot. And I, I think he does that time and time again. And just creates enough space for himself. Like the defender's gone. Now he just has all day to think, where, okay, where am I going to play this next pass? And so I think his first touch is just right up there with Luka Modric. Elite, elite, elite. Like unbelievable. But this moment, like this moment in this goal, I've, I want to see Cruz do that a little bit more against deep blocks because if you actually this play Celta after we beat their initial press, they dropped back, got in shape and actually had probably eight, nine guys behind the ball right outside their box. So it was a deep block in that moment. And what Cruz did was he beat his first man off the dribble with that fake shot. And then he attracted two defenders, which freed up a little space for him to play that eye of the needle pass to Benzema. And so I think if he can do that a little bit more against uh, low blocks, that's a new way or a solution to breaking, breaking these teams down. Do you think, um, do you think Celta defensively, what were, what were your thoughts on this performance? Cause I, it kind of ties into this discussion. Zidane was saying after the game that, you know, these games aren't easy. It's, it's just that all these games are difficult. Um, but he thought, you know, we controlled the game and stuff like that. Where do you think Celta stood defensively in this game? Um, what was your kind of analysis of what Kude did? And you can, if you want, you can bounce around from first half to second half. Yeah, I think um, I I do think their press was was pretty well organized, especially in the first half. Um, and if we did break their press, then they would, like I said, drop back into that into that defensive shape and get numbers behind the ball. Um, I think for them, it was more just individual errors on the ball than it was anything like defensive organization. I thought they were fine defense uh, organized wise off the ball. It was on the ball where they made their mistakes and we punished them. And uh, so and then in terms of like what Kudet did in the second half, I felt like he he recognized that Zidane was maybe trying to um, limit them on the wings. Uh, that's thus the involvement of Fede Valverde. I thought Vinicius and Ju- Vinicius Jr. and Mendy, uh, along with Nacho, were doing a good job of keeping Iago Aspas, Hugo Mayo quiet. And then uh, on the opposite side, you had uh, Aaron Martin. And I think it was, was it Bryce Mendes? Nolito at times. And so uh, I thought Fede just did a really good job defensively. And so we kept, we kind of kept their wings quiet, which have been important, important key cogs for them. And the middle of the field started to open up. Dennis Suarez had a lot more space. You saw him get a lot more on the ball. Um, he took advantage of those tired legs. We were late in all, all, most of our pressing sequences in the second half. And so I think what I've noticed, I mean, we've talked about this before, Keon, is that Zidane sometimes, he gets it correct, maybe in the first half, right from the get-go, and we play well. But then the rival and the opposition coach will make adjustments at halftime. And Zidane sometimes struggles to 
identify those adjustments and adjust to those those counter adjustments that he the opposition have made. And so I think he depends on like the individuals then to go and find the solutions rather than us finding like tactical solutions or making in-game changes or adjusting things ourselves. I feel like that's been his Achilles heel this year is teams will teams will figure out what we're doing after the first half and then adjust and then we're kind of stuck. And I felt like that happened today. You also bring up good points though about um, just the the battle on the wings. So even though we didn't have traditional wingers in this game, not a traditional winger based system anyway. You know, you saw Vinicius on the left sometimes, but you know, ultimately it was Fetty on the wing and he was multifunctional. But despite all that, our coverage on the wings was really good. So I think part of the reason why Celta struggled to get going on the wings at all was because the defensive coverage on the right, for example, like between Lucas Vasquez, Luka Modric, and Fede Valverde, there's so much security there defensively that even when, um, you know, you had the odd overload from Carrizo, the left back, or Nolito going out that wide, like you you had it covered. And so from that perspective, especially on the right-hand side, you had a lot of good coverage. And on the left side, Mendy basically by himself is like three defenders. So, I, you know, even though you don't have traditional wingers in the squad, I, I think... In this in this scheme, you you have a lot of good defensive coverage, and um, the other thing I wanted to say was that Real Madrid played narrow in this game. Like if the ball was on the right side, Celta had the ball on the right side, even if they wanted to switch, because Fede Valverde would tuck in really narrow, right? And if they wanted to switch to that side, they could, but Real Madrid would rotate really quickly. This is the Atletico Madrid defensive blueprint like they can suck you into one side think you have space but then you get the ball gets there and you don't have space because they close it so quickly and i thought like their narrow scheme enabled them to like when they won position possession everyone was kind of in place to do quick short passing and in quick proximity to each other because that's the way they were lined up and I, this goes back to the starting lineup i've always been I, I don't know if I've talked to you about this as much, but I've talked to Alma about it and I've talked to Jose about it a little bit. I've always been higher on the idea of having four, even five central midfielders, which is like a lot of people just don't like that. I actually have always have had a soft, soft spot for multiple central midfielders in the team, just because I like the way the control you can get from it. And, um, you know, I, you know, it's, it's totally different, obviously, than having traditional wingers and, and trying to beat players on the wing and stuff. But it's, I feel like f- football is kind of headed that way in, in a sense where you may not have two traditional wingers on the field at all times, but you have just a lot of pressing and you have a lot of control and you have you have a kind of like this narrow scheme and, and you're able to rotate quickly. I've always liked it, but I'm just curious to know what your thoughts on it. Like, do you prefer something like this or do you prefer to have traditional wingers out there? Or I guess maybe it just depends game to game, like, you know, what the situation is. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the five-man midfield. Um, I will say this, though. I do like the four-man midfield, and I do like – I just always like to have at least two vertical options and two options that can stretch a back line. So – with five, I think you're only with that lone striker up top usually, and you, you have more player. Yes, you can control it, but you don't have anyone who's maybe making a run in behind or kind of challenging that defense, making the defense make a decision. And so I always like to have someone who can be kind of that that threat. If Usually I like someone like Vinicius, who's got the speed, uh, can make darting runs, can just make defenders think twice before step making taking another step forward. 
Um, so for that reason, I like it, but I do understand, like, I totally understand, um, how, like if you, if the five, five man midfield midfielders are occupying the right spaces, pressing at the right moments, controlling the game, then yeah. And I, I do see your point, how football can kind of be moving towards that way. We're kind of already seeing it with, um, especially with the, I think with the three man back lines with fullbacks, almost acting as, as those fifth man midfielders. Uh, and then you have advanced number eights and a number six. Like, I think that all comes together and kind of plays into that controlling factor. Um, but I'm, I'm still a sucker for just speed on the wings, vertical option, like play them quick transitions and play them in. Um, and so <clears throat> that's, that's kind of where I, my head's at in terms of like five man midfield versus, versus four or three. Yeah. I mean, I think like my, my, I think my favorite, like thing of all time, just like if I'm going to choose like one, one formation, it's always, I prefer to have, I prefer to have, you know, flair, flair on the wings and, and someone centrally to also just kind of bind it together. But I, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm more talking about like situational stuff, like that Valencia super cup game, I think was the first time we saw five central midfielders, right? Last year, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we, we replicated it like once, maybe twice. We replicated in the, in the game after and didn't work as well against Atleti. But I just love, I remember that Valencia game. It was like, basically we had like a million percent possession in Valencia's like final third and then just counter-pressed the hell out of the map every time we lost the ball. Valencia, like they couldn't even cross their, their own third. Yeah. And it was just super fun to watch. And um, so I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for that or just kind of like that Lopetegui, Spain, you know, false nine, a bunch of controlling midfielders. Yeah. Like you just, it's so hard to play against and it's fun to watch too, but it's, it's situational. It can't be done every game. I don't think. Um, but um, okay. So let's talk about, um, do you want to talk about the pressing sequence leading up to Benzema's second goal? Um, well, should we first, I think there's two moments we could talk about even before that. In okay. The first half. Uh, one, I just wanted to get your opinion on that moment where Aaron Martin uh, clearly just, held Fede Fede was through on goal like did you think that should have been the ref should have taken more focus on that um I honestly have have to watch it again (laughs) why don't you tell me your opinion I'll literally bring up the video right now um I mean I thought Fede was through like I thought it was clear as day uh I thought I'm sure we'll get to it, but the referee in this game just completely lost the plot, like especially in the second half. Yeah, he had a um, lot of weird ones, which we'll talk yeah. about. Yeah. Um, but this was one that kind of went under the radar, like, whoa. But I mean, that was clear as day, and Fede was through. If I, there was no way Aaron Martin was catching him. Do you have the minute? What minute was it? Uh may have been between 19 and 29. So oh, I don't Jesus. know. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna even try. <laughs> Sorry. But I guess the other the one moment that you will remember, um, the Vinny chest opportunity after yeah. Benzema, uh, <laughs> yeah. Benzema gets gets the ball on the right flank inside the box, quick change of speed, flings a bullet pass across goal, and uh, I don't know. I thought Vinny should have done better there. He was kind of chesting it upwards rather than trying to chest it down. Yeah. Uh, and if he chested it down, it would have been he had the whole goal in front of him. And yes, the ball was flying in, but. Uh, it was that was a wide open goal, really good opportunity. I think the XG is a little inflated, but the XG was 0. 0.64 on that on that opportunity. 0. 0.64, it's a massive chance. So uh, Thomas Rongen on the broadcast said that there's nothing he could have done 
and it was just a rocket at really? his chest. Yeah, I like, and I thought like, why not? Why didn't he just head it? Why not just put I, your head through that? It honestly could have been any body part as long as he was pointing it like towards the goal rather than upwards, like he was. Right. In my opinion. <laughs> right. No, I, I think it, I think he should have scored that. I mean, I, we can we can uh, talk about. It was look. It was a bullet. It was a, just a bullet at his chest. But I'm just thinking like any. I think most strikers' reaction in that situation would just to be put your head through it, like yeah. a diving header type motion. Just and, throw your body at it. Like that's yeah. all you have to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it was uh, it was a huge chance. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. By the way, do you know that Asensio chance? What it ranked on the XG? Yeah, it was like wasn't it like point eight nine or something? Point nine six. Oh my god! I think yeah, it's those the, two. Those I don't two know if you can get bigger us. than that. Have you seen? And I think that must be that might be the highest I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've seen anything higher than that. Like on, you have to be like on the goal line on the with goal nobody line. in the stadium <laughs> to get higher than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So maybe I'll look up the whole the Fetty situation before the podcast is over. But what? Um, so I want to talk about the second goal. I thought the second goal encapsulated well what we were doing with the press. Because it was not only Kroos winning the ball, and obviously Kroos and Benzema combining again in the second time that game. Um, just like even the initial, like Casemiro Modric and Fede Valverde and Lucas Vasquez all had a huge hand in that pressing sequence to win the ball. And look, Salto made weird decisions and mistakes on the ball all game, but you know we have to give credit to Real Madrid for putting him in those situations. So what did you think of the, the sequence leading up to that? I agree with you. I mean, I think it it perfectly encapsulated what we were trying to achieve in the, that game and what we were doing, what we were doing really well, pressing high, man-for-man man press. Uh, it started actually with Fede Valverde on the right flank who uh, closed down Aaron Martin. He was forced to do the pass back. Um, we put Celta in just really uncomfortable situation and they, they couldn't deal with it. And Real Madrid will punish you. Like, that's the thing. I, I mean, that's... And that's that's what Zidane is clearly trying. Like, if, from listening to the interviews with players, and uh, it's clear he wants to win the ball higher at the pitch, and that's how he thinks we can create more opportunities is by pressing high and winning the ball ball higher up the pitch. And it worked today, obviously, um, on on that goal. And that's 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 a way to create high quality xG opportunities. It's just winning the ball back as high up the pitch as you can, and then just punishing the opposition and so i think it was it was really nice to see in another good easy finish for uh for benzema who had two in this match and an assist so he's just on fire yeah so i um i thought like uh, really up until halftime but especially like, i think it peaked around that time where i was really really impressed with Ramjus' performance overall and you know the bar here is a little bit low mostly because I, this is kind of was a tricky game to me. I didn't expect them to come out flying and, and be dominant completely. I know how it works after a Champions League hangover. This is also um, a weird one in that the schedule is eases up for like a brief period. Like this is a little bit eye in the storm type deal because um, this is after a Champions League hangover and it's and there's like a little bit of a break after this right so it's kind of almost easy to overlook this one in a weird way so i'm just happy with the w but i was so given having said all that i was i was happy with the performance as well up until that point and um and then we we get to this weird phase in the game where i think like we're talking about like chaos because in slack almost talking about chaos and 
really this is to me when the chaos started to like manifest itself and it just became more and more chaotic as the game wore on to the point where you're like just trying to figure out you have to like if you take your eye off the screen for one second you don't realize where like where the players are you have to like keep tracking everything it's just it gets a little bit weird after this and it's funny to me how quickly football can shift in one moment it's like the little details that can swing momentum and in this case it was cross committing a foul pulling a shirt and um and then south score from that free kick weirdly i don't i don't still quite understand how santi mina was so free in the box um I'd love to know your take on that. I think it could have been down to a couple different Real Madrid players, but it was weird that like a bunch of Real Madrid players were kind of conglomerated into one area and then ignored Santi Mina. So what was your take on that whole sequence? Yeah, I mean, first off, the foul from Cruz was was needless. It was soft and it, it was just, it was a poor foul to give away in that type of area. And then on the actual play, it was, to your point, Ken, it was almost, it was so difficult. And I tried to watch the replay and it like cuts out right when you're trying to see who lost whose man. Yeah. But like, we're no, all our players are in no, no man's land. Like there's no, there's like three Celta players who are free. Um, And I think I saw Casemiro like trailing, but I don't think it was Casemiro's man. Uh, I don't think Santamina was Casemiro's man. So I I don't, I don't know who to identify because the replays really didn't help you on that, but it was just, it was a weird, weird play. Like, I don't know what happened there, but it was it was really strange. Yeah. So I'm watching it right now. And it is weird because like I my initial thought was like, well, that's Casemiro's man. But the replay is just impossible. It just keeps cutting off at the wrong time. And when you watch it in real time, you basically have a lot of like every single Real Madrid player is on the edge of the box because that's where they're keeping the line. And Santi Mina is essentially right behind Baran. But the weird part about the sequence is that no one really is marking. There, there's no man marking, right? It's all mm. kind of zonal marking. And um, I just feel like he, he Santi Mina kind of sneaks up in the blind spot of everybody somehow. Like, Ramjir are so focused keeping that line a certain way that they just almost forget to track. And um, the the I hate to double blame it, but I think if it has to come down to one player, it's Cruz again. So Cruz commits mm. the foul, and really it's down to Cruz and Mina who are marking, who are kind of on each other. And Cruz doesn't really drop back; he just kind of stays on that line. And um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on Cruz. Double, double blame on Cruz. Oof! All right, Cruz. Well, at least he, uh, at least he was involved in both goals, so we can give him that. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, well, that's three goals at that stage. Um, yeah, true. So, so what did you um how were you feeling at halftime then? So I felt like you, after the goal um our momentum definitely the momentum overall just shifted and like it just it felt like that was the worst time to give up a goal and Celta were kind of on the up and we were on the down and so you're going into halftime you're just like ah, we played well but that there's a little black mark there. And so we enter the the second half and I mean, you you go from the first five minutes of the second half to the last six minutes or so of the first half and Real Madrid like lost their bite, their crispness, like speed, everything. It just wasn't there. Their concentration levels. Um, and I felt like the game, if we didn't if we didn't get back into it, I felt like this game could quickly get out of hand and we could be in a, in a tough spot. Um, but uh, I don't know. I felt it, it almost 
the game never found its rhythm again, partly just because the referee, it was so stop start. The referee was calling every single little touch as a foul. It was, it was kind of getting ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of played into it as well, I think. Yeah, I think it was it was a really weird half, and I think that just kind of fed into the chaos. So the referee was being weird, and then um, Celta's press continued to be good, but it became more efficient because Riamja weren't playing out of the back as well. And again, this goes back to even Mordic. She looked a little bit tired. He he had a couple of giveaways. He also had Mordic had a weird game too because as the as the game wore on, he started to kind of lose his touches a little bit. He had that shot at the end where he just shoots it into the sky which was uncharacteristic of him because we know that's like one of the hardest shots in football is when a ball is coming at you square and you try to hit it one time you really have to put your laces through it for it not to even elevate a little bit and um i thought the better option was probably just to square it to cruz who was at the top of the box but um so he had a couple weird moments like that and uh casemiro had a lot of he actually had quite a few epic defensive moments in this game but also hit his passing also put Ramjud in some tight spots. So, I and the other thing was I thought Ramjud lost some of their vertical compactness. Like Denis Suarez and Aspa started to get in behind the lines a little bit and get the ball in these good positions. And Courtois had to come up big a couple times. We had um, we had uh, we had him the Aspas chance that was just outside the box, and uh, there was the Aspas free kick which hit the post. But that was one of the weird free kicks that probably shouldn't have been called, right? Yeah. Um, the motor trial. So yeah, that was weird. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was just kind of a weird, but ultimately I think Real Madrid held up pretty well. They were the better team in this game. They were the better team offensively. They were the better team defensively, but, um, sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes, you know, this still was, wasn't that far away from a two, two, right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, going back to Vinicius, cause I'm looking at my notes. I mean, he was a guy that, had some of these plays panned out, this game would have been out of reach for Celta. Um, and it, and this is yeah. the growing pains of a young player. We kind of know, like it's going to be a roller coaster with Vinicius until we eventually see if he's evolved into who we hope he can be, or if he doesn't. Um, but it's going to be a roller coaster like this. And he was fed a couple times. Like Mendy released him down the wing. He had so much time and space to go at a defender, and he instead he chooses to try and force a pass with the outside of his foot. Um, he had another counterattack or one that was led by Cruz who gave it to Benzema and Vinny like fell to the ground. If you remember that and Benzema was trying to play it back to the top of the box, it falls to Fede Valverde, Fede passes to Vinny and Vinny eventually just shoots into a bunch of defenders. And so yeah. there were, there were a lot of moments like that. Uh, I thought we, we had great opportunities on the counter. Like the counterattack was our go-to in the second half for sure. Um, but we did look like heavy, like it was apparent to me or even around the hour mark, it was really apparent, like Modric, Cruz, Fede, they were all late stepping out on the press. And so that's why Denis Suarez, like you saw, you noticed him so much more in the second half. Like he got on the ball a lot, was slinging passes, even at Iago Aspas was a little, a little bit more lively in the second half. So um, fatigue definitely, definitely played a factor in this game, which is so why the, I was, yeah, go, go ahead. I was no, just no. say, which is why I was so surprised that Don, like we had these five subs. When was the last time we actually used all five substitutes? Like really, like we don't use that. We don't use that to our benefit at all. And it's, I get Zidane just doesn't trust the squad, but like, why couldn't a guy like Rodrigo come in here? Why couldn't, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's, there were other options that we could have used. Uh, we're definitely missing kind of that midfield depth though. Like 
Cruz, Modric, they all, they all, Fede, they all look tired. Well, that this is where the, it gets really interesting because I'm so. First of all, let's just talk about Asensio for Cruz sub. I mean, Cruz. Um, basically, my read on that it was like you know what Cruz. Obviously, you know you want to keep him on the field as much as possible, ideally. But um, that aside, the entrance of Asensio kind of made sense to me because it started to turn into this game of like Vinicius started to have some space in transition and Asensio could have thrived in that situation too, right? So all of a sudden the game is unfolding in this way where it's opening up a little bit. You want speedy wingers. So I, I get the Asensio coming on sub and going to a 4-3-3 or, or kind of like basically what happened after that was that you pretty much shifted to a 4-3-3 because Asensio goes out wide and then you already have Fetty on the field. You have you have Cruz and you have Casimir Mordic there too. So it's a 4-3-3. I'm really surprised that he didn't bring on any other subs. And I don't know if it's necessarily a trust issue. You know, this is actually, I didn't attend the press conferences today. Uh, I'm pretty much out on press conferences until someone, something actually really interesting or an interesting manager comes along that I can ask the question of. But um, somehow this was the most boring Zidane press conference I can remember just reading the quotes. And I'm surprised I didn't see anyone ask him about the lack of substitutions. I think that would have been interesting because, you know, lack of trust is one way to put it. But, you know, you look at the players on the bench today. Rodrigo is someone he trusts. He's he's put on he's put on Isco quite a bit in big games, even of late. I, mean, I, don't, get someone, what, I don't get what's happened with Isco. Like he I so plays a couple games and he doesn't play at all. Like I just don't understand like this was a guy Zidane always liked. I just don't understand what's going on with Isco. I don't so the Isco one is weird because I don't really feel that strongly one way or the other about him. I think he's I think he's an amazing player. I also think, you know, if you want to go a different direction, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think, you yeah. know, he has his pros and cons, right? But I definitely get confused as to way the way he's used. Yeah. <laughs> because even if you look at last season where he didn't play at all, but he only played the big games, like he played against PSG, he played against Barca, he played against City, and he played mm-hmm. good in all three of those games. Yeah. So he's on this run. And then all of a sudden, the City second leg, he doesn't play even though you need press resistant players and you need, you have all these build up issues. He doesn't play in that one. And then this season he starts against Atlanta plays pretty good, but then he plays even better in the next game. And then he, have we seen him since? Oh yeah. We saw him one time. We saw him once. He didn't okay. have a great game against uh, who would we play? I don't know. Lately. Some, I think it was the game before the Atlanta second leg, but yeah, I'm, I'm confused as to the way he's used for sure. I don't, I don't understand that part. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's. I mean, it's, Hugo Duro is someone he's trusted in the past. I'm not. Yeah. Saying, I'm not advocating Hugo Duro like, to come on in this yeah. game, but like, I don't. You know, I. I definitely. I do feel like it's an enigma the way he chooses players. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if there's ever, if there's ever a game where it was crying out for these guys got heavy legs, I felt like this was one where it was blatant, like blatantly yeah. apparent. I usually. It's usually sometimes hard for me to see. Like Zidane will say after the match, "Oh, so and so was tired. That's why I took him out." And sometimes it's hard for me to see that. But like in today's game, it was blatantly obvious. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I haven't really looked ahead. Well, I'll look ahead right now. Croatia plays on the 24th and the 27th and the 30th. All big World Cup qualifiers. So, you know, Modric is going to get some time oh there. God. And uh, obviously, uh, that doesn't include Sergio Ramos, who didn't play today. I think he's... Uh, 
Zidane actually said after the game that he's going to be going with the Spanish national team. Um, like what? In a that, hypothetical so. world where, let's say, Modric and Cruz both get injured during this FIFA break, what do we do? Like, what happens then? <laughs> I mean, the silver... I mean... <laughs> It's, I was going to say the silver lining is you get Odegaard, but you don't. Yeah, uh, you recall Odegaard. Yeah, I mean, uh, Isco, it's, you get, you get your, your annual Isco appearance, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, um, it is, I always think like during the international break, which a, yeah, I always think of it as a break, but it's never actually a break. I feel obligated to watch those games, even though I don't really care for them much. But um, anyway, it's a different discussion. So, so yeah, so that was the only sub he made, and yeah, I'm just I'm I'm still kind of baffled by it. Anyway, so we got it, we got the W. That's in by all accounts all that matters. You just sometimes worry about the process in terms of who's going to get burnt out when when you need them. Um, we are we are about to hit the pivotal death to death to death back to back to back those three games from hell: Barca, Liverpool, Liverpool. So um, it's uh, it's going to be a tough one, and I suppose we have a break, but uh, the international players won't have won't really have won't really have a break. In fact, it could be argued the international break is more intense than the actual club games. That's three games, three three games in six days for Modric. Yeah. It's crazy and traveling and everything and traveling. Yeah. Um, all right. So where do you what, where do you want to go from here, Matt? Where what else did you want to? Um, I guess just on Asensio, he. I thought he was pretty quiet except for one moment where he got on the ball and like he really battled hard. He was he was carrying the ball and like just showed strong upper body like uh, was kept. I think it was first Dennis Suarez and then somebody else who he just basically like stiff armed off him twice uh, before releasing the pass. And I was kind of impressed with that. It almost looked like he had a chip on his shoulder Um, and was coming out with like a little bit of just a macho guy, tough guy kind of thing. And uh, I liked it. I liked the attitude. And obviously he gets the goal at the end. So two goals and two substitute appearances. We'll take that. I mean, everyone, everyone criticizes Asensio for his lack of goals. So hopefully now uh, maybe he needs, just needs to be a substitute or now he's getting his confidence back and can go on a little run here, but I, I'll take it. I'll take that with Asensio. Um, and I think just like even that goal, Asensio's goal, Kareem Benzema showed Vinicius Jr. exactly how it's done. Like you use your weaker left foot, you put a ball in the box, like time it in front of the player, not behind him. Uh, and it was just like that's that's how you do it when you get in that position. So um, just shout out to Benzema there because I think that kind of goes under the radar. Well, I also want to give a shout out to um, to Modric on that play too on the goal because he he has this really nice aerial duel, which he comes out on top and he wins the ball and that kind of kickstarts the transition attack. And I was really impressed with that, but I want to say with Asensio, I gave him the ultimate jinx on Twitter because around the 90th <laughs> minute, um, he, I, I check, I just, I just didn't really notice him on the field. So I checked to, who scored to see how involved he was. He had five touches. <laughs> and I just tweeted that out. I was like, Vinicius, or Asensio has five touches and he's been on the field for 20 minutes. That's really, that's really, I mean, he's, he's just not getting involved offensively. Yeah. And, uh, and then he scores on that. So he had kind of a similar 
similar um there was another game recently oh somebody had really cr- criticized him on twitter and then he scored and then we retweeted from the management account so he has a knack <laughs> for popping up in moments at least that's uh, one thing you can give him credit for that he doesn't get cold in those situations or, or has in the last couple of games anyway um so that's essential that's uh, i i did have one more vinicius note that i forgot i think is important enough to resurface is that um there was a stretch where Celta in the second half were getting momentum and they had to put together a few attacks and Hugo Mayo was getting involved. By the way, Hugo Mayo unscathed in the referee's book. Unbelievable because he had so many ridiculous challenges in this game and just didn't get any any uh, any cards. But there was a stretch where Hugo Mayo was getting really involved and making overloads on the right side and Vinicius didn't really track him. And I thought he should have... There was a couple of times where Vinny lost him and he think he needed to do better defensively in those situations. Um and uh, one more note on Mendy. His uh, off-ball movement continues to be really, really good uh, and super interesting to track. So he didn't really play the inverted role today, but he made several runs kind of centrally or in the left half space at least that freed up outlets for Casemiro and Kroos to hit and um, and also was good with his counter-pressing and, and just made good outlet runs, if nothing else, and... So I think Mendy continues to be pretty good, but anything else that we miss? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been fairly critical of Mendy uh, this year, just in terms of like, I haven't thought he's had as good as a season as last year, but that being said, he's played an entirely different role this year. And like the way he's, Zidane's kind of transforming him into this inverted uh, fullback playing in the half space as an advanced playmaker playing as a central mid, like, all the different things he's had to do and learn and kind of adapt to. I, I, I got to give him credit there. Like, I think he has done well and his off ball movement has generally always been pretty good and it does create space and creates passing lanes for others. So uh, I just, I still obviously in the final third, he's still a little bit lacking, but um, he, he has kind of had to morph and evolve into this whole new role. So credit to him there. Um, the other person I want to kind of, just give a shout out to was uh, Nacho, especially he had a huge block in the 89th minute um, that prevented Celta from scoring. I thought he had a really good game overall. He was going up one V one against Iago Aspas quite a bit. And uh, I thought Nacho got the better of him. So uh, another strong performance from him. He's just, he's been at a great level this year and uh, just good to see that. Good to have a player like him performing so well. And on the, on the Mendy point, it's interesting that uh, after we were talking about his role and in the Atalanta game, uh, there was that video that surfaced of Guardiola's answer to inverted wingbacks. You saw that, right? Yeah. Uh, super interesting. So I, I thought it was interesting. I retweeted from my Twitter account, and you guys can all go see that if you're trying to find it. But it's uh, the, the too long didn't read or didn't watch is just basically he was just talking about how having more numbers in the middle just helps with your team's build up and also your, your, your defense and your ability to win the ball. It's super interesting. Um, so, okay. I, I always, I, I feel like I always try to prematurely wrap things up and then someone always jumps in and says, Oh, hold on. I have one more note. You if, That's if someone is home. Yeah. If, <laughs> but I mean, if Owen was here, this would be a longer podcast. Um, so what did I miss? I, I, I don't like missing things. And, and so there's been a few times this season, actually, after I finished the podcast, I'm like, oh, shoot, that was an important point I forgot to bring up. But what, what else was there? I'm looking at my notes. I don't think anything. The only other thing we didn't touch on wasn't a huge moment. It was just that Araujo mistake 
Um, he had that heavy touch playing outside of the back yeah, he and had Benzema takes the shot. Yeah. So uh, could have been a hat trick opportunity for Benzema there, but other than that, like, I don't think we, I don't think we missed anything. Okay. Wasn't as much in the second half. No, I mean, it was, there, there was a lot in the second half, but not, it was hard to decipher what they were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like, the first half was a little bit easier to analyze. And the second half yeah. was just, again, it was just a little bit more chaotic and just, you know, the defense wasn't as sharp and, and it was just a little bit more open. Those, those situations are always a little bit more difficult to analyze because it's, um, it's kind of a free for all, but um, I tried to find, uh, I just wanted to, to quickly see if there's any interesting Kude quotes, but we do have a question from a patron. So we can take that now and I'll just look up to see if Kude said anything interesting after the game. Maybe he talked about tactics or whatever. Um, so this question is from Ramin Nagy. He says, I have a question regarding longevity. Given how disciplined a lot of players seem to be regarding fitness and nutrition, do you guys think we might see players decline at a later stage compared to previous generations? From Real Madrid, we've already seen the likes of Benzema and Modric hit a new stride in their 30s. I think you and I have talked about this before, just in regards to should the club change their policy uh, on the one-year contract extensions for players over 30 just because because of this, because of Ramin, Ramin's question is sports science has evolved, fitness, nutrition, like these guys, they have so much at their disposal and things that they can just like install at their house now too that uh, allow them to recover and just 24-7 like focus on the job and focus on making sure their body's prepared. And to Ramin's point, like look at Benzema, look at Modric, look at Cruz, look at Ronaldo, look at all these guys that are still performing at that level. So it does... I mean, I think it's something to watch. I think it's definitely something to watch uh, as the years go by here, how many players continue to perform at 34, 35, 36, if it goes even higher than that. Uh, and if, if it's a larger volume of players, then, yeah, I think we may have to start reshaping our perspective on what's considered, quote-unquote, old um, and how long a player's career really is. And, Again, it's going to it's going to vary player by player because not every player has the commitment, the discipline, the mental attitude to um, do these things. But you would hope that the majority of folks, professionals at Real Madrid are, are doing these things because that's what it takes to, to be successful at a club like that. Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting one because part of me says, yes, of course. Why wouldn't this be the case? Because we're just advancing as a species, you know, we're we're understanding how the body works better. We're understanding how to prevent injuries better. Our understanding of nutrition and diet is better. So it only makes more sense that players will be able to play longer. But I also think that this is going to be a case-to-case basis. It really will depend on the drive of the player. It will depend on the genetics of the player. It will depend, um, you know, there could be somebody who does everything right, but then have the Gareth Bale genes where it's just, you know, you're going to just get destroyed by injuries. And, you know, it's hard to say, like, why was Mordrich able to go longer than Xavi Iniesta? Was it just down to fitness? Like, was that it? Like, what is it? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, Mordrich is, again, Mordrich takes care of himself. Does that mean Xavi Iniesta didn't take care of himself as much as Mordrich did? I mean, Pirlo played pretty late. Um, sometimes it's not just fitness. Roberto Carlos is one of the most fit players we've ever seen. <laughs> but, you know, he doesn't really necessarily have that huge longevity. I mean, he played later in his career, but he wasn't playing at a, uh, the same level as he was the whole time. Fereng Pushkas was signed at the age of 31 
like 400 pounds and he played <laughs> like five, six years and was one of the best goal scorers in club history up until like his, his mid to late thirties. And that was a long time ago. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a tricky, tricky one, right? Depends. Well, and then you have other, you have other, uh, even other examples like Zidane who could have kept playing, but decided to hang up the boots early. Uh, so like there's, there's examples like that too. Even Beckham, like he left for MLS at 30. He was definitely mm. still, good enough to play at least another three or four years. And every time he came back on loan to Europe, like that was clear. He still had it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, and, and I'm very curious to, to see how, how this will progress over time. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like you can see athletes go far beyond 30, like, you know, it's all around us, but I, I suppose like at that level, of just like high contact against the best over and over again every day. It's a, it's one thing to 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 be fit and be really sharp, but to to go against the best and constantly get battered physically, it's it's a difficult task. But with regards going back to the question full circle, I don't see why it certainly won't be the opposite to me. With the more we understand science, yeah. that just it's natural that this is just going to be a thing. And with regards to the contract situation that you brought up. I think it should be revisited as a case-to-case basis. That's it's easy, you know. I understand why they just kind of have this blanket over, like if you're over thirty, you kind of fall into this category. But not every thirty-year-old is built the same, and so, you know, uh, a twenty-seven-year-old Antonio Cassano is <laughs> totally different player from a thirty-five-year-old Luka Modric, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, I couldn't find Eduardo Cude quotes anywhere. Uh, it's always a challenge finding anything from the opposing manager of a smaller yeah. team, unless you're actually sitting there live uh, either that, or you have to like wait till the next day because they just don't really care to post it online. I don't think so. Um, yeah. So I'm ready to wrap it up here. Are you? Yeah. All right. Let's do patron shout outs before we, before we close. So just some housekeeping, Matt and I will be back on Tuesday and um and we'll do kind of the final loan tracker before the international break. We'll review everything that happened this weekend uh, and also in the Europa League midweek well, with regards to the Real Madrid And then on Thursday, Lucas Navarrete and I will do a mailbag. That's all over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. We are also very much looking forward to doing two, um, two more Zoom calls at least for this season and on the, on the back of each Liverpool postgame show. So, uh, we had a ton of fun doing them against Atalanta over on patreon.com slash managing All the patrons received a Zoom link. And uh, we it was just a ton of fun. The feedback was great on on both. So you actually get to join us on Zoom while we record our post-game show. There's a live chat. You can ask us questions face-to-face. We'll be doing that for both Liverpool games, but you have to be a patron to get access. Shout out to these $10 plus patrons who get a specific shout out on the podcast. So... Let me just pull this up here one second. All right. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Parent, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Somanchu Singh, Shabazz Sharapov, Santos Solorzano, uh, Sergio Arispe, Said Mahad, Sad Omar, Raul Gutierrez, Ragab Potluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo. Nick Ribeiro, Nick Lauer, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Kevin Rivera, Kishav Dar, 
Karen Scherer, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, G-Wolf94, Graham Gerard, Georges Tarazi, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eric Rogers, Eloy Enriquez, Daniel Williams, Christian Toth, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Anirudh Singh, Alexi Saniceros, Al, Adam Dorsey, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much for your support. Matt, thank you for your time. We'll see you Tuesday, my friend. And take care. And until next time. Thank you, Anthony. Tuesday.